Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Well, welcome back. Friday, December 15th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson, 602 I've got Mr. Bill. I've got David Dahl. And I was about to say uh, Miss Terry is hyperborean of us, but she's not today. She's out. Huh? Did, did you wish her a happy birthday? Happy birthday. Yeah. I, yes. Okay. Happy birthday. <laughs> we be. <laughs> We begin today with our text being Michelle Goldberg's op-ed in the New York Times. She has one today titled, What's Driving Former Progressives to the Right? She's writing about two other left-wing writers who take up the issue in an even more left-wing paper called In These Times, which I didn't even know still existed. This is a real miscinibum effect here. The New York Times being lefty, talking about another column in a more lefty paper by two other reporters. I didn't know In These Times still existed. It's a monthly because I remembered it from my youth as a poorly ensembled socialist newspaper, which raises two internal potential fallacies about my realization. At first, I thought it had died years ago because of triumph. I mean, you know, what's the need for a deliberately socialist journal of news and opinion when you have the New York Times, the Washington Post and ABC? Then I thought, well, it might still be alive because the Keynesian type demand for socialist thought is so strong these days. It has created an enduring demand. And so it must have. But then we begin to see the imperfections of all the foregoing from the very first paragraph of Miss Goldberg's piece. Her second and third sentence are these, quote, erstwhile leftists decamping to the right. There have been plenty of high profile defectors from the left in recent years, among them the comedian Russell Brand, the environmentalist turned conspiracy theorist Robert Kennedy Jr., and the journalist Matt Taibbi. Imperfections, I say, from what we are about to read further on in subsequent paragraph. No longer is the Gelman amnesia problem running us from column to column or story to story or page to page within a newspaper. It's now subsequent sentences in an op-ed that starts off wrong and in error in its very first paragraph. In what senses, in what worlds are Robert Kennedy or Matt Taibbi, now immigrants to the right? And in what sense is their right way the new Jerusalem for them? Later on in her column, we'll be told that Naomi Wolf is a former liberal feminist. Goldberg's words, not Wolf's, which I very much believe would still be how Wolf describes herself. I can't speak to Russell Brand. It's not as if he was some kind of Bill Maher or Piers Morgan or even Geraldo Rivera who was known for his intellectually efforted liberal or left-wing opinions. He's a performance artist who has only become famous politically for standing up for little more than two things that I can think of, opposition to COVID mandates and freedom of speech. 
He has run afoul of Me Tooism, to be sure, but any effort to graft the worst of Harvey Weinstein and Matt Lauer and Andrew Cuomo onto some side of the right or conservatism is itself wrong by about 180 degrees. If opposition to COVID mandates and support for freedom of speech are now considered conservative and abandonments of liberalism, that's because liberalism abandoned common sense and anti-authoritarianism, not because conservatives have done anything differently in far too long. As for Matt Taibbi, I'd be very hard-pressed to find a conservative thing I can recall him for. First, he opposed censorship and thinks the government overreaches into those areas. It's, if, if that's conservatism, then again, one will have to move the world – liberalism out of the word liberalism out of the thesauruses and dictionaries of the past 300 years or more. It is fair to say much of the left has moved to do these very things as they become the new viceroys of Oceana, but that is not really a movement of Taibbi and Wolf and Kennedy and the rest. That is a movement of the Democratic Party, which I'm going to guess Taibbi and certainly Russell Brand were never members of in the first place. As for Robert Kennedy, as is true of Naomi Wolf, where are they on taxes and abortion and the Second Amendment or the Tenth Amendment sensitivities so much a part of the conservative movement? They are where Bernie Sanders and Nancy Pelosi are. Indeed, one can find Robert Kennedy announcing his presidential bid, saying he's trying to bring back the Democratic Party of yesteryear of his father and uncle as it's been distorted into something else when it comes to things like speech and when it comes to things, things like mandates. And the party of his father and his uncle that he wants to bring it back to, as every conservative or even moderate journal would have labeled it in those days or any textbook on political science, the label of his father and uncle's party would have been liberal or on the left side of the spectrum. So that's just the problem with the journey begun by sentence two of Michelle Goldberg's in the New York Times today. But in that errancy, we have a few tells. First and most importantly is the tell that supporting freedom of speech is not a value of the liberals or the left anymore. It must, in fact, be a sign of abandonment. Second is the tell that opposing government mandates in the name of government authority is not a value of the liberals or the left anymore and must, in fact, also be a sign of abandonment. Goldberg writes about the In These Times columnist's concerns that, quote, what gives this migration political significance are the ordinary people following, following into it, following the leaders into it, counting such losses in their own lives, friends you struggle to hold on despite their growing allegiance to terrifying ideas, close quote. Ordinary people now holding terrifying ideas. That's what they think of as the right, as if Russell Brand was even ever ordinary. But what of these terrifying ideas, ideas that inspire terror is what that means. And I ask, like what? That government should not have been bribing media companies on what to print and what not to print? That injections mandated into the arms of the healthy and the non at risk from a virus that would not affect them very deeply should not be ordered? That's what terrifies? Free speech in the absence of government coercion, the likes of which not even Noam Chomsky ever dreamed about when he wrote his book, Manufacturing Consent? And bodily autonomy, 
the likes of which Taibbi and Kennedy and Wolf have been arguing for for decades, having never wavered from such nostrums for decades and still not wavering from them. In other words, the terrifying idea from Kennedy and Wolf that can be summed up in a four-word phrase they've been deploying since 1973. My body, my choice. Terrifying. Then what we get from Michelle Goldberg is the distillation of the Chad. Remember the famous picture of the election official in Florida in 2000 trying to discern the intent of a ballot with an oversized magnifying glass? For here is Goldberg, quote, The conservative movement may revel in cruelty toward outgroups. See, for example, the ravening digital mobs, the ravening digital mobs that descended onto the podcaster Julia Mazur for a TikTok she made about the pleasures of life without children, close quote. So, okay, conservatism now equals cruelty, and we get that. That's the New York Times F7 macro. But the evidence is ravening, ravening digital mobs that descended on the podcaster Julia Mazur for a TikTok she made? Stop right there. That's the evidence of conservative cruelty? By definition, if you are listening to this, you are a pretty engaged or politically astute person and likely in the conservative movement. If one of you in earshot can call me and tell me you have any idea who Julia Mazur is, I'll give you something special. You know who she is? You don't. I had no idea until I Googled her. To Goldberg, this TikToker means a lot. To us, well, we've never heard of her. Thus, the magnifying glass to find the right answer to the question of just how cruel are we, which is, to Michelle Goldberg, very, because Julia Manzur. An interesting thing I will say about Manzur's complaint, though, when we come right back in the next segment, because I did research what this hubbub about Julia Mansour was, and um, it raises some interesting questions about what young people think about their TikToks. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I don't know if I gave sufficient props when we were talking a week or so ago about country music artists who've got great pipes and range, and we said um, Trisha Yearwood and Carrie Underwood uh, which led young David to make a error of critical proportions by putting in a non-Carrie Underwood Christmas song because he thought I said someone else when I said Carrie Underwood. And you took that to mean Kelly Clarkson, which aren't even the same initials in the first or last name. I don't or the same genre. The century. <laughs> Do you listen to the talk show from it being live? Um, no. Evidently. Yeah, I had to go back and pull the tapes on that one. And then get it wrong. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I got it wrong in the moment. But one of, Yes, the, well, that's what mattered. That's the only thing that mattered. I got it wrong. So yeah. I had to go back and get the tape. That's what mattered. And the tape spoke the truth. But the woman in there with Dean Martin um, has tremendous pipes, Martina too. McBride. Yeah, she can really belt it out. I haven't seen much of our concert You once. know what I just discovered hmm. the other day? What? Leanne Rhymes. National anthem. Yeah, it's up there, isn't it? Wow. Yeah, I had heard that for the first time, and yeah. I sent it to you and a friend of yeah. ours. I was like, "Wow, you got to hear this." Yeah, yeah, it's one of the Makes two you greats. Stand up at the office and yeah. salute. I know the wall. <laughs> yeah, she can. She can hit that. Yeah. She can hit that concert. Uh, 
think it's a concert. A, yeah, I think so. Anyway, um, I wanted to get back to this issue of 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 this TikToker Julia Mazur, against whom I guess Michelle Goldberg at the New York Times thought the right and the conservative movement in this country showed cruelty for criticizing her um, from a TikTok she posted. And I had never heard of her, as I was guessing no one in the audience had ever heard of her. And I, as I guess, you had never heard of her. I do not have a TikTok. Right. So I've not heard of okay, her. Okay, that's, that's, that's one point. filter. Yeah. Okay. But supposedly, if this was so bad, it would have been, you know, spilled over outside of TikTok, I would imagine. Anyway, uh, something I want to say about Julia Mazur's complaints, though. Now that I did research what she was talking about, she posted something on TikTok about enjoying being a single woman. And here's the thing about all this. You know, most of us don't care, but nobody sought you out. No one went or woke up one day and said, wow, this Julia Mazur is important. Let's go attack her or criticize her. And by the way, when I say attack, it was, you know, by keyboard and not being thrown at her. Nobody sought her out. She posted something volitionally on her own. She expressed, if you will. Go back to yesterday's monologue about what that means. She initiated. She wanted ears and eyeballs. That's the only reason, theoretically, that I would assume... Not theoretically. It's the only reason you would post something on TikTok, right? You want ears and eyeballs. You want attention. You are an attention seeker, which isn't always a negative thing. I mean, if there are reasons to seek attention, legitimate and good ones, moral ones, justifiable ones, and maybe even this was, but she wanted eyeballs. When you do that on your own initiation and you want attention and you say, look at me, I have something important to say and it's about my lifestyle. Did you want no feedback except the adoring and the positive? Did you expect no feedback except the adoring and the positive? You can't live in that world where you initiate and say something And expect no feedback. If you are going to post something in the land of 2023, or really in the land of any time since Gutenberg, someone may have something to say back. It's kind of the way communication works around here and since the time of Gutenberg. No one initiated a critique of her, a critique of her. She initiated something and got. Some pushback. Doesn't make conservatives cruel, especially since no one except people at the New York Times seem to have heard of it. And maybe a few conservatives who did write something about it. I just want to say one more thing, though, about Michelle Goldberg's column that brought some of this up. She writes plaintively, quote, it's easy to see what very... It's easy to see what various parts of the left want to dismantle. Capitalism, the carceral state, the carceral state, heteropatriarchy, and the nuclear family. 
and much harder to find a real realistic conception of what comes next. Mr. Bill, you're looking at me, and you're looking at me for the reason I think you're looking at me, which is the reason people in the audience are probably saying, say what? So I will repeat what Michelle Goldberg wrote in the New York column. In the New York Times column today, she writes, quote, it's easy to see what various parts of the left want to dismantle capitalism, the carceral state, heteropatriarchy, the nuclear family, and it's much harder to find a realistic conception of what comes next. Close quote. We could call that the quadrant. Capitalism, the carceral state, heteropatriarchy, and the nuclear family. And that, my dear Michelle, is what has us curious as to how anyone can be on the left in the first place. Capitalism, out. Carceral state, a word invented two years ago to replace criminal justice and sanitize and excuse criminal behavior. Heteropatriarchy, a word too complex and new, we will probably need two years to even begin to understand it. And the abolishment of the nuclear family, the desiderata of Marxism since the Communist Manifesto. If Democrats aren't communists or socialists who embrace these things or the In These Times newspaper, then we'll begin to believe there is such a thing as this cryptid we keep hearing about, the moderacy of the Democratic Party. In the meantime, Michelle, thank you for writing out that phraseology as it is just so common in our political lingua franca, according to you, and the default of normal politics. It shows us where you come from, where the New York Times come from. And let me give you a pro tip. That quadrant, it ain't normal. The abolition of capitalism and the, car- and the carceral state and heteropatriarchy and the nuclear family, it ain't normal. Nor is it a surprise that the sane would want to flee the sanitarium. The story should really be about the size of the sanitarium, not the mentally and philosophically sound who ran from it as fast as they could to the land they once knew called liberal. I'm Seth, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Matthew Perry, cause of death listed as acute effects of ketamine. Fox News headline. Other conditions that contributed to his death included coronary artery disease and buprenorphine effects. Buprenorphine is bup is um, bup sorry bup as it's colloquially known is used to uh, is used for opioid addicts. Ketamine as a sedative. Well, please just go back and listen to the interview and the hour I did with Jeff Taylor and Steve Moak yesterday, hour two if you missed it. 
we are a very high society right now. And uh, dangerous drug use is at record highs right now. It's not an exaggeration. It's at 16.5% of the population. It's never been that high. Never been that high. It's 13% higher than it was the year before that. And the year before that, it was never that high. It was never 14.5%. Never. It was never 14.5%. The highest it had ever been until two years ago was 1979 at 14%. And then with a lot of work, we got it down. We got it down to the 6.5% level. And here we go. And the numbers of regular users keep rising and rising and rising. 112,000 lost Americans last year to this stuff. Dangerous and illegal drug use. It was 110,000 the year before that. It was 108,000 the year before that. It was 97,000 the year before that. Folks, are you getting the message or beginning to that we have a real problem here? And the one thing we are not doing that we have done in the past that worked is prevention, which is why Moak and Hugh Hallman and our friend Steve and Jeff Taylor and I started the Stop Starts here. The Stop Starts Here.org. Serious prevention messaging infused through social media. It is giving time if you want to help us out and help us get those ads and those videos and that messaging in as front in front of as many eyeballs as possible. Go to the stopstartshere.org. Happy to make good use of your tax-deductible donation. Happy. You don't want your next kid or your kid, or your grandkid, or your brother, or your sister, or your mother, or your dad to be the next Matthew Perry, the next obituary that we read. We read those obituaries, Arizona Republic or wherever you read them, and you see younger and younger ages than you ever used to see in the obituary pages. What do you think it's from? What do you think it's from? And it is those obituaries of those people, some of whom we know, some of whom we know people who know them, that all build into that statistic of 112,000 American deaths. I'll say it again. This country turned itself inside out and upside down to do public health messaging and awareness on things like AIDS. Those of us my age and older remember it well. A week couldn't go by when you didn't see or know or hear something about AIDS on TV, on the radio, on a march, on a quilt, on a ribbon, on a you name it. And in the worst year of it, 1995, we lost 50,000 souls to AIDS. 50,000. Awful. In a country that was 25% smaller back then. So the country's 25% larger now than it was in 1995. And we're losing over 100% more people to illegal and dangerous drug use than we ever did with AIDS. More than four times as much. Incredible. In, excuse me, more than two times as much. Incredible. Incredible. 
It's time we do something. We're trying. Help us out. The stop starts here.org. We'll be right back. You're saying this is a Christmas version? Do you not hear all the snowflakes and children singing in choirs and angels' wings? I mean, you can't just envision the angelic choruses. <laughs> if you're asking me, can I hear snowflakes and angels' wings, the answer is no, I cannot hear them. You don't hear the, the sleigh bells, though? Seriously? There's a little bit of a sleigh yeah. bell in the back there. Yeah, yeah. I hear version. that. Yeah. I hear sleigh bells. I'll send you That's the, I'll the send lyric. You, the you hear those sleigh bells ringling. You hear sleigh bells. You do not hear snowflakes. Well, this is what they were referring to. Speaking of snowflakes. Um, speaking of snowflakes. <laughs> I um, Yeah, I actually told Rick to call back. I want to say something about this dance troupe. That have you guys seen this weird nutcracker dance at the White oh, House? Yes, that Joe Biden created, and a lot of conservatives were like saying, you know, this is pretty gross, and some others were saying, what's the problem? It's just tap. No, 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 no. It's not just tap dance. Reading from the Daily Mail, the dancing troupe commissioned by First Lady Doctor Jill Biden. You can't write her name without doctor in front of it. The dancing troupe commissioned by First Lady Dr. Jill Biden for a Christmas video are Black Lives Matters activists who promote far-left policies, including defunding the police. Dorrance Tapp, a tap-dancing troupe from New York City, performed an interpretation of the Nutcracker Street through the halls of the White House. The group openly supports Black Lives Matter as well as advocating on their website for prison abolition. Now, if there's one thing Democrats will tell you is we don't stand for defunding the police. What about abolishing prisons? Do you stand for that? Because you evidently do. At the highest of levels. Now, one could say... Maybe this wasn't vetted by someone. What is going on in this White House? I'm getting a little tired of hearing it was a vetting problem, like Doug Elmhoff's tweet about Hanukkah that was wrong in its entirety, that they was so wrong, had to take down. Who takes down a holiday greeting, they get it so wrong. That's how wrong it got. Have you ever heard of a holiday greeting having to be taken down? That one did. Or the mismessaging between the... Secretary of State and the spokesman for the National Security Council and the president and the vice president when it comes to the Middle East. They're all contradicting each other, each one contradicting the other on Israel-Gaza. And so one might say, well, we didn't vet them well enough. Okay, okay, blame the vetters, who I guess were all outside protesting the White House, The workers of the White House were outside protesting the White House this week. Did you see that? Maybe that's why they didn't vet it. Yes, I did. And if it wasn't a vetting problem and it's like, you know, get over yourselves. We did this deliberately. That's that's worse. That's worse. A troop known for its activism on abolishing prisoners and standing for Black Lives Matter. I guess Black Lives Matter still has currency and cachet. With some in the Democratic Party, I would have thought it had worn out its welcome by now, given everything we've come to know know about it. And I don't mean we, meaning 
people in this show, which were on to it from day one, but we meaning those that didn't want to listen to us, like on COVID or other things that we were right about on, if not day one, day 11. Rick's in Phoenix. Hi, Rick. Thanks for calling back. I invited you to do so yesterday. How are you, sir? Doing well. Thanks. Always a joy to talk to you. Thank you. And uh, listen to your show. And thanks for the opportunity to call back briefly and uh, kind of wrap up what I was talking about yesterday in regards to the misuse and abuse of language. Yes, sir. And you actually kind of summarized my whole uh, thinking with your final comments in the segment that we were talking about when you pointed out that the Founding Fathers' use of language was so articulate and precise. Yeah, they weren't casual about the words they used. No, they said what they meant. They meant what they said. They knew the etymologies, too. That's right. And they had a command of the English language. Yes, they did. Yeah. And it seems to me that in our present day, perhaps coinciding with the decline of education, we have a serious decline in the use of language and the rise of language that is to say the least counterproductive and maybe to say the worst irrational and you know uh, just useless uh, and abusive uh, like the illustration that you just gave about the what's going uh, you know the <laughs> the Christmas quote unquote celebration in the White House. Mm-hmm. And their description of it, uh, to say the least, somebody there, and probably a whole bunch of somebodies, have a tortured relationship with the truth, Mm -hmm. because they don't seem to be able to comprehend uh, that you, you can't say one thing and do another. Well, yeah, unless, right, uh, in total agreement, unless... You just change the meaning of what words mean, which is what Humpty Dumpty did in Through the Looking Glass and what they do every day. Because to me, every single day, carrying Jean-Pierre takes to the the podium, every single day she starts off with a lie. Every single day. Do you know what the lie is? No. Six words she uses routinely. The precedent has been very clear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would like... To make it a headline banner news item above the fold, the first time this president has been very clear about anything, anything the president has been. She says it routinely, day in and day out. Right, right. Absolutely. And it's not the worst lie, by the way. It's, it's, it's actually fairly, fairly down the long list of things that yep. they distort and yep. uh, obfuscate. Just regularly, time after time after time. And wasn't that one of Saul Alinsky's rules for radicals? Is that you use language to promote and distribute lies, 
and use it to demean and debase your enemies and use it in ways that will, instead of educating, it will fuddle. Well, it may have been. I, I, I know that they I know that I know that one of them was never give in and keep the tactic and the pressure going. And that's what they do. Like great white sharks, they only do a couple of things. And that's one of them. Portions of the show brought to you by our good friends at Y-Refi. They have a secure investment that actually helps people. They're based here locally. You can visit them. Their offices are on Chauncey Lane in North Phoenix. You won't um, get a sales pitch. You won't be asked to sign a thing. I've been there any number of times. Really good people who just like talking about what it is that they do. What do they do? They have an investment that can earn you up to a 10.5% fixed rate of return. That's right, a fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. Tons of flexibility where you are in control. You can turn your income on or off, compound it. There are absolutely no fees. There's no attack on principal if you ever need your money back, and you get a monthly statement with no surprises. If you don't visit them in person, check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI24. Alan is in Phoenix. Hello, Alan. Hey, good afternoon, Seth. Uh, I just got a couple of things that I have to get off my chest. One is, it's such a pleasure listening to you on the radio. Oh, I have my grandson listening to you, oh. and I say, you can always tell a well-read person, Aww. and the number one person is you. Oh, sir. you're very oh, kind. That doesn't sound like a Tucson accent, Alan. Where are you from, brother? No, originally, originally from England. Yeah, and I, I got out of the coal mines and I went to Vietnam, and I got my citizenship, and I love this country. Aww. I'm so proud of America. Did you fight for? Did you fight for the U.S. in Vietnam? Yeah, I got from and you're from here. England. Yeah, I moved over here, so I could be here. Like Rick Rescorla, I love that story, man. You know the Rick Rescorla story. He he was he did the same thing. He moved here from England to fight for us in Vietnam. He died on nine eleven, but he was the head of Morgan Stanley Security, and he took a, he was in the Battle of Yadrang, and he uh, he saved a lot of a lot of lives, not his own, unfortunately. Man, what a story. To move here from another country to fight on behalf of this one. God love you, brother. God love you. Thank you. But it's so sad to see what we are going through right now. I know. It breaks my heart. I know. I know. It really breaks my heart. I know. When I see what's on the border and everything, it's like nobody's caring, you know? Well, it's not nobody, Alan. First of all, bless you again, and thank you. God, what a beautiful American story and a beautiful sentiment you expressed. First of all, and your kind words. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's not nobody. It's us. We do. We few. I think it's more than a few. Let's be, as we know from that next race, happy. We happy few. Why happy? Because we have the greatest country in the world to defend and save. Right, Alan? Right. Thank you, sir. God bless you.